Blog Talk Radio. Our common ground, alternative activists, empowerment, talk radio, speaking truth to ours and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know? Don't tell me Negro, that's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? As you honor our forefathers and foremothers, I urge you to honor our living heroes. When you honor the names of Nat Turner, Harriet Tubman, and Malcolm X, I urge you to honor the names of Geronimo Gijaga, Sundiata Akoli, Mutulu Shakur, and Mumia Abu-Jamal. America's chickens are coming home to roost. Violence begets violence. Hatred begets hatred. And terrorism begets terrorism. Our common ground speaking truth to power and ourselves. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Thank you for being with us. Stay tuned. Fora TV. The world is thinking. The AP poll came out a couple weeks ago saying that one-third of white Democrats harbor negative feelings toward black people and that a quarter of those white Democrats may not vote for Barack Obama. Now we have to ask what is the justification for the resistance, all of the mythology that has been distorting him, whether he is a Muslim, what would be wrong if he were a Muslim? That should be no harm, but the reality is he ain't. He's a good old Christian on the south side of Chicago, and by now everybody knows his pastor. (laughs) So some have raised the question whether he was Christian, but that's another conversation. I, I, I certainly would contend he is. But the reality is then that for many white brothers and sisters, then the resistance of Barack Obama can be justified by what? Appeals to conceptions that perhaps he lacks experience. That would be a legitimate concern. But not because as a black man who is the nominee of the party that they now are participating in, that they would justify either not voting for him, staying at home and refusing to vote for him, or not embracing him because for no other reason than that he is a black man. Now, for all of those who claim we live in a post-racial society, that may not be an ideal toward which we should aspire. Post-racist, yes to get beyond the lethal indignities that are associated with ethnic bigotry, yes, to get beyond the ruin of race, yes, but not beyond racial identity, not to cleanse ourselves in the healing pools of whiteness. As Du Bois himself conjured that image in 1903 in the souls of black folk, no, we should not attempt to be post-racial, but post-racist. 
We should not have to give up who we are or what we look like or the identities that we have accrued over space and time struggling for self-definition in a culture that refused to acknowledge our fundamental humanity. And now Barack Obama is walking a serious tightrope on the one hand trying to acknowledge that he is part of the great drama of American democracy and the pageantry of possibility and on the other hand people on either side calling him out for not being enough or too much of a good thing. And so the dream that people had in this country about reaching that racial nirvana or reaching for that place where Dr. King said that race would no longer be the significant factor to determine who and what we are and what we get in this society, maybe not so fast. And in light of this subprime mortgage scandal and then in light of the fact that we got a $700 billion bailout for Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, Jimmy Mac can't get no love. Average brother and sister out here trying to make their way white or black or brown or red or yellow can't even get the government to help them out. We could use some good fiscal conservatives like Bill Cohen to clean that mess up, but at the same time, we tell poor people who are vulnerable, you need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and yet multi-billion dollar corporations making more than trillion dollar mistakes are receiving the public largesse. We have socialism for the gifted, and we have self-help and capitalism for the poor. And good evening, and thank you for joining us here on Our Common Ground. Good to have you. Hope all is well on this post-DNC convention weekend. Uh, at Our Common Ground tonight, we're going to be switching our pages. Uh, Dr. Matthew Johnson is en route on a train, and it doesn't make for very good radio, so we've decided that we're going to switch page two to page one, <clears throat> and do our open mic segment, and our number is 347-838-9852, and I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you at 347-838-9852. Um, <clears throat> interesting that uh, at the end of the Democratic National Com Convention where, according to all news reports, that uh, our president, who is recent, the nomination of the Democratic National Convention, seems to have gotten spirit, seems to have gotten juice, indeed the entire leadership uh, of the Democratic National Committee has gotten leadership. Now, some of you may ask the question, why is the DNC convention so important? It is important because there are more than 92% of all of the African Americans in this country who vote vote on the Democratic ticket. If you walk into a poll, 
and you indicate that you are independent, especially in a primary in some states, as I am registered as uh, an independent. And during the primary, you can you have to have a particular ballot for your party. <clears throat> Independents in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts have to choose which ballot they want to vote from. I choose in Massachusetts the only other party for independence is the Green Party, and the ballot is totally blank. There is no candidate, uh, or there was this uh, primary season, no candidate on the Green Party ticket. So everyone that I had to, that I chose to vote for, I had to write in their names. Um, so I don't know what, I don't know why we pose the question why the DNC convention is important, because that is where we invest our electoral capital. And in doing so, we are a very different block of of uh, voters with the Democratic National Committee. So, <clears throat> though many of us are conservative, we are also conservative uh, socialists. And we face a number of dilemmas as part of the party, um, or as a group we do. Between the presidential election years of 2000 and 2008, the black Democratic presidential vote dipped slightly from 90 to 88%, and then hit 95%, which was an all-time high. This suggests to me, and I don't know about you, and if you'd like to join us in this conversation, this uh, Our Common Ground open mic Saturday night, that the relationship between the Democratic Party and African Americans remained on a very solid footing uh, during those years. There are no realistic prospects for an increase in the black Republican vote in 2012, President Obama remains generally very popular with African Americans, and Governor Romney is not perceived as an attractive alternative for most black voters. I think we would all agree about that. In a recent NBC News Wall Street Journal national poll, which was conducted from August 16th to August 20th of this year, Romney received no black support. And the significance of the black vote for the Democratic Party, it can't be overestimated. In 2008, the national exit polls showed that the black contribution 
to President Obama's vote was 23.5 percent. In 2004, the black contribution to Senator Kerry's vote was 22.1 percent, up from 18.9 percent of former Vice President Al Gore uh, in 2000 when he was the Democratic nominee for president. So what is this? I'm posing the question tonight. Uh, after all the confetti has dropped and been swept up and sniffed, um, what does this mean that approximately one in every 4.25 Obama voters in 2008 were African American? You know, uh, I want you all to come, uh, just come a little closer, because sometimes it's easy to forget that there really are no actual national elections in the United States. I'm going to say that again. There are no national elections in the United States, in this place where we all talk about there is a democracy, that every man has a vote. Every man and woman has a vote. Given the mediating role of the Electoral College, even the presidential election, is a state-level election. Think about that. National voting statistics can be very misleading about the actual constituencies where elections take place. So if you thought you were particip- you are going to be participating in a national election for the president of the United States, you are not. It's important to look at the individual state. It's even important for us to grasp the idea that this is why individual states can create their own voter laws. It gets back to something that has been, I'm sure, very, very pressing on all of us, and it was the issue, it is the issue of the campaign of voter suppression across this country while it was financed nationally by both the Republican Party, by ALEC, and by the Heritage Foundation and other super PACs, it was targeted by state because there is no national elections in this country. And there are a, 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 a number of things that we have to consider about this. And and tonight I, I really want to open our mics up to talk about the realities going forward to 2012. I know I sound a little flat, but these are 
these are some important details to understand about what goes on. It's um, like the, um, it's very much uh, in terms of priority as important as some of the discussion that uh, I had with Alpha of the Alpha Show and Dr. Wilmer Leon of Inside the Issues XM uh, Serious Radio on our special on Thursday night on the DNC to understand what a convention does. You know, nobody. It, it, it's really interesting, and I do want to thank uh, Alpha, who is in our chat room tonight, and Dr. Wilmer Leon, who had a fantastic show today at 11 o'clock on uh, XM um, Sirius Radio. I, I think that it is so important because nobody, no one raised the issue about at the DNC convention, did they talk about, vote on, and decide about how the Democratic National Committee, who enjoys the privilege of full electoral support by the African-American community, did they set a platform agenda item about fighting voter suppression across this country? Have you heard anything? All the caucuses and the committees that met over the last week uh, under the banner of the Democratic National Committee, did they talk about voter suppression? Did they talk did they did they adopt an agenda about how we fight voter suppression in this country? But 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 you know, I I want to go ahead and that's a question that we need to to get answered. Uh, maybe uh, the TruthWorks Network producer uh, Michelle Odom can get some, do some um, research for us at the um, one of the best electoral political uh, sources for research and data in this country. And many of you probably don't even know about it. Is the Joint Center for Political and Economic Studies. In Washington D.C., but we need to ask that question. The other is how much? What is the budget for? See, these people. This is when you, when you hear people talking about uh, how we get um, marginalized and minimized, um, and 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 taken for granted. This is where it is. How many of the delegates at the convention this week talked about establishing in across the country or at the helm of the DNC a candidate school to prepare African American and other disenfranchised minorities in the electoral process to run for public office. I mean, I a lot of you hear me, and, and, and I think people think that 
uh, I'm just running my mouth. But I would love to see a state senator by the name of Dwayne Alford in Illinois or a state senator or a a member of the Congressional um, Caucus coming out of New Jersey in the name of of um, Michelle Odom. I would love, you know, it's really interesting, and I guess I'm not talking out of, out of, uh, talking out of school, as my mother would say. My mother would say, okay, now you're talking out of school. Uh, and, and sometimes she would say, um, and don't go on the radio saying I said it, because that's what you do. But have we thought about who we want this party that we invest so much in? Have we thought about how we groom and and a, 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 a Barack Obama over the next thirty years? One who might not believe in drones, one who might respond to Joe Wilson in the well of the House of Representatives in the capital of these United States and say, is that who you are? So um, have we thought about that? I should be able to, because you know that uh, Alpha is like my younger brother. I should be able to say to Alpha, Alpha, the Democratic National Committee is having a candidate school in Chicago next weekend to prepare people who might want to run for public office. You should go to that school. If I got him there, he'd probably be interested, and he's in our chat room acting up right now. And for those of you who are listening to this broadcast, if you'd like to join us in our chat room, you can do so by coming to blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG. But I, I think we don't know these answers. You know, everybody was talking about Michelle, um, uh, the First Lady's dress. And, and that's another thing. Who are these people? Like some drunken fool calls the um, the the Alpha show last night, um, a rusty, dusty, drunken nitwit, and he's talking about Barack as though he met him. Mitt Romney's not worried about his skeletons in his closet. He's not even worried about his tax returns or his overseas um, scheme to hide his money so that it shelters him from taxes. So why are you worried about your skeletons, Alpha? That's Alpha in our in our chat room saying he has too many skeletons in his past. These people don't worry about what skeletons they have in their past. You know, you 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 do a Barack Obama move. You write a book and you tell people when you're getting ready to run for office. You tell people I smoked some weed. I snorted some some coke, and let's move on. So we we have made this investment in this 
political organization and this uh, electoral organization. We have asked very little of them, very little in my opinion. And we still don't have, I mean, I don't know what the Democratic National Committee's uh, position is on voter suppression. I don't know if there was a caucus last week that met and talked about voter suppression. I do know that our Common Ground voice, Barbara Arnwine, was at the convention. I don't believe she was a delegate. But, you know, we don't know what what goes on, and, and you should know. Because you know when you go into your voting booth um, on November 6th, and I do want people to think about um, making sure that you vote, that you register to vote. You know, you want to be an activist, get on the phone. If you want to be an activist, get on the phone next week. Take an hour out of your day or your evening and call the people that you know and say to them, you need to check your voter registration status. And by the way, when I stepped into my polling place, <coughs> excuse me, when I stepped in my, into my polling place on um, on Thursday, um, nobody asked me for ID. They asked me my name. They had a little book with the papers in it with all the registered voters on it, listed by name, by address. They looked down the little list. They checked off in a little box. They gave me my ballot. I was in there about 20 minutes because I had my little piece of paper of who I wanted to vote for. And it was really interesting because I met a man on my way into the into the polling place. And he introduced himself, good old Sal, and he told me that he was running for governor's council and asked for my vote. And he gave me his uh, a little piece of paper. This was, you know, he said, I'm just a, a Joe on, on the block. Um, and... I'm a nice guy. I don't know a lot about politics, but I decided I have to do something. And I said, well, what is it you have to do something about? And he said to me that I have to do something about people who in our neighborhood need leadership about how they get housed and how they educate their children. And that was just like, you know. But he was an older guy. If he had been a worthy candidate in in in, in my estimation, I might have changed my vote because he was standing right there and he asked me, and, and the pundits have been absolutely right. You should not vote for anyone who has not, one, asked you for your vote, and te- and two, told you the, what they have paid for it, 
what is the capital they invested in you as a voter. But I digress, and I want to thank Doc Don and uh, House Music Lover, uh, Michelle Odom, uh, the TruthWorks uh, producer, and Alpha, and uh, the guests that we have in our chat room for joining us. Dr. Matthew Johnson is on the train, um, and uh, he is going to hopefully join us in the second hour. So in this first hour, we're talking about post-convention depression, or maybe we ought to be calling it post-convention inspiration. And my question tonight, and our our lines are open if you'd like to talk with me about it, um, our number is 347-838-9852. And my question to, uh, in this uh, first half hour has really been to look at us as really the investors in the Democratic National Committee and what it means. But I was talking about, Dr. Matthew Johnson told me in a conversation last week that that his first aspiration, his first aspiration as a kid was to be a United States senator. Now, how how good does that sound? And I think that as investors, major investors, important investors, that we ought to hold that party responsible. I mean, I hold the Democratic National Committee uh, responsible for a lot of things, and I'm not even a registered Democratic voter. But I get my three emails from Michelle and my three, even got an email from John Kerry. I just got back home. I'm saying, damn. I haven't heard from you in in a a number of light years. Remember me? I'm the one that called and said, where are you? I said, I did. I called his office and asked. um, I can't remember exactly what was going on, but I do remember that John Kerry's name has not come up in a million years, in a million light years, over the last two years. So I got an email from him. Uh, indicating that he had come, he had just gotten home from the Democratic National Committee. So I responded to the email. You know, I'm a, I'm an activist, whether I'm on the radio, whether I'm walking down the street, whether or not uh, I'm uh, in a restaurant. An activist is just in your blood. And I emailed him back and said, "Good to hear from you. I was wondering where have you been." I liked what you had to say at the Democratic National Committee. Now what? Where is the report? Where is the report? So in this first hour, we're really going to go through having you understand Where are you spending your money? Where are you investing? So, uh, black voters do 
represent a key block in many of the states. The, the states that the, these where, where we matter for the Democratic National Committee, um, what they call the battleground states, states uh, for 2012, they're Florida, North Carolina, Ohio, and Virginia. In Florida, for instance, 24% of President Obama's votes were cast by African Americans, as were 44% in North Carolina, um, 21% in Ohio, and 35% in Virginia. And black voters are concentrated in about 20 states. Um, and there are significant variations in, in black turnout among states with with lows of about 43% and 50% in Arkansas, Florida, and New York to a high of... Now listen to this. You all talk about, you know... So many people who have no cultural competence about African Americans in the South... 73% turnout is the average, in the, in, is, is, is the turnout in 2008 in Mississippi, Missouri, and South Carolina of African-American voters. So what's the problem? And I, I like to look at black voting in non-presidential elections. There is a report called the the uh, Cook Political Report, and it identifies six competitive U.S. Senate elections in 2012 in states where black voters may be a major factor in determining the outcome. We do a lot of talking about taking the taking the House back and what's going to happen in the Senate, and but we do it based on personalities individuals but where black voters are major factors in determining the outcome one republican appointed in incumbent is seeking reelection nevada along with four democratic incumbents florida michigan missouri and ohio there's an open seat contest in Virginia. There are also two races for governor where black voters could have a major effect with the Democratic incumbent seeking re-election in Missouri, an open seat race in North Carolina now held by a Democrat. So when we talk about oh why why do we why why we must be compelled to exercise, I hate to call it a franchise, because with the voter suppression on top of the poor performance of people that we have elected, including Barack Obama. So we can't really call it a franchise. If you've got, for instance, in Mississippi, and for instance, in Florida, 
in North Carolina. I mean, let, let's let's look at this picture for a minute. And I'm blowing by my break. The key states where black turnout range from 43 to 50% and 73%. But in Florida, 24% of President Obama's votes were cast by African Americans. 24% in Florida, which is why they got hound ready. It's almost like they took some crystal meth to get Charlie Chris out of office. You know, because Charlie Chris was their boy. There wasn't anything wrong with Charlie Chris. Rumors been going on around Charlie Chris about being gay since I lived in Florida, and Imani is a sophomore in college, and she wasn't even born when I lived in Florida. Okay? Um, let's, let's look at some more statistics. 44% in North Carolina, 21% in Ohio, and 35% in Virginia, and this is what... I submit, I submit that Barack Obama and the Democratic National Committee owe those people. Which is why it is so astounding that we have a Democratic strategy in this country, you know, a White House strategy, any kind of damn strategy that Barack Obama wants to be be race neutral. Because those are the same battle state battleground states that he's going to have to face in November. The the exact same ones. I also propose that Don and you're just coming in, you and YJ, that there is no such thing as a national election in this country. It all has to do with states, and it all has to do with the political push back to states' rights regarding everything, and that is including from banking regulations all the way down to electoral regulations. You're listening to Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham, and our number is 347-838-9852. And in this first page on the open mic Saturday night at Our Common Ground, following the Democratic National Committee, we're talking about blacks and the 2012 Democratic National Committee, not the convention. Just the, I mean, the convention is over, and I'm asking the question: um, What they say about us? I mean, they're not they say anything about me because I'm not a registered Democrat. But at the same time, I work very hard uh, for uh, for uh, Democratic. It ends up being Democratic candidate. I spent four and a half hours, which is why you hear me, I sound a little dry, 
four and a half hours making phone calls for Elizabeth Warren today. You know, it's really interesting. Uh, And I have said this to people who I have been dealing with around her campaign. She's not engaging black people either, even though, even though, and I want to preface that comment with this. She would be the best thing to happen for black people in the Senate. Across this country, and, and, and those of you who can donate $5 to her campaign, you should. Because, and this is what I mean by candidate school. If we can get Alpha to candidate school and and get Elizabeth Warren into the Senate, it is these kind of people who will not back down, who will be unrelenting because what they have to offer, what they are suggesting They will stand on the principles because they know what the principles are. You know, one of the reasons that we we have to deal with people like Harry Reid. Did you all get that? That's my imitation of Alpha doing Harry Reid. The Harry Reid, Harry Reid is a Mormon. You all talk about Mitt Romney being a Mormon. What does it mean for Harry Reid to be a Mormon and how he leads the Senate? You know, the thing is that every one of them is a good old boy. And what I like about Elizabeth Warren, what I love, I mean, we're not going to say anything about what happened. What happened to Al Franken? He was supposed to be the progressive voice and conscious in what what happens to these people when they get into office. Our number is 347-838-9852, and when we come back, we're going to be talking from this break. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to sit right here. I need to get a, get a, a bottle of water um, because I was I was talking I was talking as though I was running for office. Elizabeth Warren would have been very, very proud of me. And one of the things that I did in talking to people, I mean, I actually talked to people who didn't know anything about her. Didn't know a thing about her. So um, all I had to do was refer them to her testimony um, at the Democratic National Committee uh, just last week and her testimony before the Senate uh, Banking Committee. That's what you have to do. I'm Janice Graham. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the issues of 2012 and whether or not this convention, I mean, in all those speeches, in all of those speeches, Besides talking about Michelle Obama's dress and her, I mean, that was, I agree, that was a wonderful dress, just absolutely beautiful. And the smiles on their children's faces and whatever Joe Biden said, uh, what are the issues 
that we face. 347-838-9852. Open mic Sunday night at our common ground. Thank you for being with us. Tell me I'm in this nonsense again. My grandmother used to start the story, show me your papers. That's what the police officer said to Major Blackard, her great-grandfather, when he was just 19 years old. Major dug into the trousers of his wallet, patted his jacket, but he couldn't find his billfold. Sir, I done left my wallet, he said. But before he could finish his sentence, the young man was posted against the brick wall, cuffed, and taken to the St. Louis City Jail. Unable to prove his identity, he would spend the next 21 days in a cramped, musty cell. That's where his older brother Matt found him. He had been beaten and was bloodied. Matt returned with Major's employer later that day, wallet and identification card in hand. They needed to post bond, and the police officer needed to see a white face. The year was 1899, and Major Blackard was my great-great-grandfather. The real crime was that Major Blackard was a man of color living in America in 1899. This morning, when I initially got, you know, the first notification that the president was having to produce his long-form birth certificate and passing it out, you know, by White House staffers, it recalled a really ugly time in history for me. It recalled a time when men of color, when black men specifically, weren't allowed on the street without identification. And here we are with a president of these United States, duly elected by the people of this America. He's being asked to produce his papers. And not just his birth certificate. They've gone on to ask for his college transcripts. Never in our 235-year history have we ever asked a president to prove that he was born on this American soil. Good morning. In a stunning show of unchecked ego, Donald Trump quickly hosted a press conference. He took credit for forcing our president to hand over his birth certificate. The sometime real estate developer, socialite, author, and television personality went on to caution onlookers to let the experts examine the documents as if the president were perpetrating a fraud. Trump didn't even want just the birth certificate. He wanted the president to release his college transcripts. His implication is that Barack Obama was the beneficiary of affirmative action and that he took the place of a more qualified white student. Apparently, graduating magna cum laude from the nation's most prestigious law school and being named editor of the Harvard Law Review, the institution's highest student honor, is just not enough for Trump. But you see, for people like Trump, it never is enough. If he gets on the phone or gets off his uh, basketball court, or whatever he's doing at the time. I mean, he should be focused on OPEC and getting those prices down. As if his place was better on the basketball court. When they tell you that this isn't racial, don't believe them. This controversy was constructed solely as a way to delegitimize the presidency of a black man. Those who question the location of Barack Obama's birth are clearly the same people who would pack up and move out of a neighborhood if somebody like me moved in next door. They are the same people who would believe African-Americans are better suited on the basketball court than in a boardroom. When they say they want to take their country back, 
they mean from us. Goldie Taylor's full article in response to this. You're listening to Our Common Ground. Our Common Ground. You are our mothers, you are our sisters, you are our daughters. AIDS is the leading cause of death for black women ages 25 to 34. But there are things you can do to help. Prevention is power. Get educated, get tested, get treated. Help stop AIDS. Republican Congress is looking to defund parts of God, Frank. In the face of these losses, of this risk-taking, why aren't the Democrats out pointing the fingers to be saying they will be responsible should there be a need for government to step in with another bailout of banks because of this risk, about of these risky uh, derivatives of trading? Why aren't the Democrats pointing the fingers at the people who are standing in the way of reforming the financial institute. That's malpractice, malfeasance, and it's necessary. And to me, it just simply seems that I know. I, I'm not I know because they're getting money from these same financial institutions to stall, to get this into. But if Republicans are playing cutthroat politics, why are the Democrats playing that? And why can't they be on the offensive? And that, that's the first thing. Here's the second charge. You've got the Republicans beating this old message of debt. you got Mitt Romney standing in front of a dead clock now. And that will be the narrative. And the Democrats... You don't see this coming? You don't see this narrative coming as they force another debt fight? As they... The best of political talkback. Common sense. Right from the concrete. Urban, progressive, politics. 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 Friday nights at TruthWorks Network. 10 p.m. Alpha drills down deep. The lies, the conspiracies in politics. It's just damn politics. The Alpha Show.
our common ground. Talk that matters. We know what to do with radio. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Made. 
But here at our Common Ground in this open mic uh, Saturday, one of the things I wanted to convey is to understand that African Americans have invested. We are major investors in the Democratic National Committee. Uh, I, I got I pulled some information about uh, about who we are in this in this Democratic National Convention um, uh, currently uh, for our special broadcast uh, live coverage. And it was really interesting because I could tell that there were people who were listening to this our broadcast and trying to listen to President Obama at the same time. But this year at the 2012 Democratic National Convention, which was held in Charlotte, Virginia, in case you've been out of the country, there are there were 346 more black delegates than in 2008 at the party's convention in Denver. Black delegates numbered 1,452 this year, and I do want to send a big shout-out to the former host of um, one of the TruthWorks Network shows, Denise Bowles, who was a delegate from the state of New York, um, and uh, I, ho- I'm, I am sure that she was persistent about the issues that um, face us. So there were um, 26.2% of the total delegates were African American, and 34.6% more than when the Democratic Party met in in Denver. Um and and um the and 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 if you compare it, it means that African Americans are participating at a higher rate. What did I say Charlotte, Virginia? Yes, Charlotte, North Carolina. Thank you, YJ, who's joined us uh in our chat room. Keep me straight. You know I got to be straight. Uh, in 2004, African Americans only were uh, represented at a rate of 20.1 percent. And this year, in Charlotte, North Carolina, 90 alternates uh, numbered 93, which was down from 136 in 2008 and 105 in 2004. Is anybody asking that question, why alternates, the the, the number of alternates uh, went down? In, um, alternates are in case uh, people can't show up, but they still go to the convention. For instance, if you're a delegate and you're on a specific caucus or committee and you have, and you have to vote, or you have to vote on nominations and you can't carry out those responsibilities, then there are alternates there to step in for you. And and there's an interesting gender uh, ratio of African Americans who were delegates at this convention. 608 
were men. That's 41.9%. And 844 were women. That's 58.1% of the African-American delegates. There were 39 states with more black delegates than in 2008. Five states with fewer and six states whose totals were unchanged. Those are some interesting statistics about who these delegates are that come out of our communities. Florida's black delegate, for instance, delegate, for instance, total increased by 49. California by 44, and North Carolina by 30. This is the, this is what I'm talking about. Our capital in this party. For those of you who'd like to talk about this, this is some interesting stuff. Three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two, which is why I have to ask the question. What is the Democratic National Committee doing? What did it do? What did it decide about all of the issues that face our community? With the greatest investment of any group. Let's see. What's the list? Uh, Gun control? Illegal guns on the streets of Chicago, police brutality, the prison industrial complex, the educational industrial complex where our public schools are more and more being sold at charter schools, which is nothing but privatization of public schools. Now, we can argue about individual Schools, we can argue about all of that in terms of the quality versus one individual school to another individual charter in an, in a specific place. But the move is to privatize education in this country. Uh, let me see what else is on the list. What about African-American children who live in poverty? What about African-American families who were middle class, but because of the recession and also because of the financial and banking deregulation, live in poverty now, live homelessness? is still a problem in the African-American community. The provision of mental and physical health services, uninsured African-American people. Not, you know, let's not get it all crooked, all twisted, or whatever they say. You know, I'm not, I don't try to come on the radio being clever. Uh, I am not a clever person. I'm smart, but I'm not clever. Different. Um, so I have to drill down on the real serious issues. Stephen C. is in our chat room, and he knows about this. And uh, George uh, Moses is joining us, and thank you, sir, for being here with us at Our Common Ground tonight. So 
these are some serious questions that I'm posing about, I mean, if you were on the board of, uh, let's see, if you were on the board of Walmart, or if you were a major investor in Walmart, and Walmart stock, uh, let's give me another example. If you were a major investor in Facebook right now, when you went to the investors committee meeting, you would be asking some serious questions like, what are you going to do to boost the revenue levels of this corporation? You, you would you would be asking that question. So here we have the National Democratic Party who met in Charlotte, North Carolina, where 26% of the delegates were black. A committee or a corporation where um, 84% of the people who identify with the organization, meaning your electoral capital investment, is black. Somebody needs to be asking, well, 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 well you know, How is the corporation delivering the profit of my investment? What's my return? And we need to start thinking like that. What is my return on the investment that I have placed in the National Democratic Committee? Was there a caucus to talk about black boys being slapped down, injured? Was there a caucus to talk about standing your ground and how that law is being applied so dis- in such a disparate way? Did somebody at the Democratic National Convention ask the question of why sitting federal judges are behaving in a partisan way in violation of the Hatch Act on the bench, and the Department of Justice does nothing about it. Did somebody at the Democratic National Convention, after all of the ooing and aahing of what Duval Patrick had to say about getting a backbone, Did somebody ask why Marissa Alexander sits in jail and George Zimmerman walks around? Did somebody question the executive committee of the Democratic National Convention Committee? Did somebody question why hasn't there been a budgeted effort on the part of the DNC to block voter suppression campaigns in this country? Did anybody ask 
why didn't the DNC give a grant of $50,000 to assist the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law in the effort that they are making to stop voter suppression in this country? Did anybody ask? Did anybody pose? Was there a caucus meeting to talk about how black families who have slipped out of the middle class because they face foreclosure on banks who were simply predators? Has anybody, did anybody have a caucus meeting to talk about how we began to re-regulate financial and banking systems in this country, what we do about the Federal Reserve, and what you're going to do about the EEOC? And, and and Stephen C is absolutely right in that chat room and welcome um India Declare the I Declare show, which um if you do not know, broadcasts Monday through Friday at eleven AM I declare media dot com. So we 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 have put it so we're sitting in this big we're sitting in this big room with this huge table Polished mahogany. And who asked the questions? Who asked the questions? You're listening to Our Common Ground at Our Common Ground, and we're going to go to our phones. Our number is 347-838-9852. Thank you so much for being with us, and I'm going to tell you some, some other stuff that's going on at Our Common Ground and get you to understand how we make all this happen. 773, you're on the air. I respect you. Thank you so very much for your call. Hello, John. Yes, house music lover, right out of Chicago, and calling at not at the tail end of the show. Good to have you. How are you? How was your Ramadan? Uh, you know, Ramadan was uh, great. Um, great. Blessed month. Um, thanks for asking. And uh, thanks for taking the call, too. Um, you know, I was watching the convention and, you know, I kind of had a couple of different questions in the back of my head. Um, first of all, I had zero interest in the Republican, um, because we already know what those folks are about. Um, and I tend to still have a little interest in the Democratic because, uh, as much as I may want to be independent, third party, Green Party, whatever, um, you know, any kind of power, with the people that I align myself with is gonna is gonna be in the Democratic Party right now. So, um, you know, I'll take my um the vested interest I have and um pay a little attention to it. And I saw a little bit of Deval Patrick, um, you know, good for him. But like you said, what was what happened after that speech? Was anything followed up with that get a backbone statement? Um, or even before that with the committee meetings. Mm-hmm. And after that, with the committee meetings, what questions were asked, what what agenda was set, um, and uh, I, I can't see any of those questions being asked or uh, no agenda being set along the lines of what you brought up um, at all. And in fact, 
um, what I noticed or one of the things that I heard um, was in defense of the president and his administration and trying to get him reelected. Uh, we hear, you know, one about the job turnaround um, and two about the health care plan. Heard a lot about health care plan, you know. And a year ago, a few months ago even, um, the consensus was, well, you know, this is a start. This isn't great, one public option, single payer. This is a start. You know, we can improve upon it. But I'm hearing so much rah-rah, cheering, jumping up and down about it um, that there, even if, when, excuse me, when he gets reelected, because I believe he's going to get reelected, there's not going to be, they're not going to readdress Affordable Health Care Act to improve it um, because they just co-signed it. Um, with every step they took and every affirmation that he should be reelected, um, which gets for me to the bigger question in which you're asking, uh, you know, what's the agenda being laid out? Who's asking these questions? And what is the president committed to in terms of, you know, the micro, the black community, or the macro, just the people who are going to vote for him in general? Or are we waiting for them to set the agenda for us? And we can grump and gripe about it, and eventually end up doing what I'm going to do and have to vote for him because I don't have. Well, a see, vote. this this gets to a question that I ask more than four years ago. How do you get to the change that you hope for? Hmm. You know, the change that whatever Barack Obama's little slogan was about change. This is the change that we need to have. We need to have a change that says we're going to hold you accountable. Well, I'm going to vote for you, and I'm going to. Inv- our community has invested in this national committee, and they don't seem to have any control over what's going on at the White House, even mm-hmm. if they wanted to. No, not when we get told that, you know, um, I'm not the president of black America. I'm the president of all America, but isn't black America part of America? Well, um, you heard the statistics that I just that I just read in the, in, in the same battleground states that he's facing in this election. It was black people who brought him over. That's right. That's right. I mean, and it's amazing because I, I kind of understand the uh, – the irony he's facing um, just being the first black whatever because for whatever reason, or excuse me, how history has us set up, it's not for whatever reason, it's very specific and intentional and deliberate, but how this jackpot we got put in, if you do assume some power and you do for yours, then it's wrong versus what anybody else would do for theirs. Well, um, it, you, you're, you're, you're right. And it's ironic, and I hope people made note of it. And if you didn't make note of it now, at during his speech, uh, and I had the the distinct experience of reading the transcript before I heard him deliver it. But during his speech, you know what he said about to the birthers and to the tea partiers and to the people who didn't like his health plan. He said. One thing is different. I'm the president. 
So if it is a political maneuver to remain race neutral, which is nonsense to me, I mean, this is a man who's biracial who can't even claim biraciality. Right. Because he's had to, he's been forced to live his life as an African American. And he said to the convention and to the nation, I'm the president. What you going to do? That's what he was saying. Yeah. Well, at least he said it to somebody else's time, because it seems to me as well he's always only said it to us. Um. You know, and, and I don't know if you caught our broadcast on Thursday night with uh, Alpho and um, Dr. Wilma Leon co-hosting. And by the way, I have to say, I, for, I, I should have mentioned this before, I've been encouraging my granddaughter, who's in Washington, D.C., to um, audit uh, Dr. Leon's political science class. And she sat in for the first time on Friday. And she said, and she called me, she said, he is absolutely awesome. His class is just awesome, she said. She said, Nani, I could, uh, my grandchildren call me Nani. She says, I could listen to him talk all day long. Hmm. So, uh, when when, 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 uh, Dr. Leon was saying the other night that there are so many flaws in this administration, and we have to understand the difference between the president's agenda and the administration's agenda. Mm-hmm. But this president has really pissed me off when he calls us to account but can't call others to account. Yeah. When he places the when he places the burden of black children having hope and working hard and making their lives and changing their lives. Nine-year-olds. But he doesn't change and hold accountable, making different how our government operates. You know, the whole night, you know, the whole thing, like, he went along, he went along with one of the first stages of dismantling what the GOP and Tea Party partiers are calling a big government, and that was to put a freeze on federal government employees' salary increases. Right. He did that on his own, too. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that was capitulation. That was a, all these peace offerings mm-hmm. that he has offered. Mm-hmm. So towards some fantasy of bipartism that's never going to happen. And it's not going to happen uh, in his second term. No. Well, plus, and we're, six, we're minus 600,000 public employees. Since exactly. Um, you know, and there's another point, uh, House Music Lover, that, that I want to make about this president, and that is in his second term, Nothing is going to change because essentially he is a conservative progressive. 
And that is the nature of who he is as a politician. Now, does that mean that we're going to abandon him as a candidate? No. Mm -hmm. With my list of like about 15 things that, 15 items that this administration has faltered on, in my personal opinion, based on my political my political aspirations, I will hold my nose and I will vote for him. But what has to be different this time? And, and House, you've been with Our Common Ground a long time, and you know I said it from the very beginning. Unless there are thousands of us in front of the White House, we will get nothing. Yeah, yeah, I can agree with that. We'll get what everybody else gets. Yeah. And and the question is, for, for some of you out there, is that enough? We're taking your calls at Our Common Ground at 347-838-9852, and we're on the line with House Music Lover from calling out of Chicago. Um, well, if I could throw this out here real quick, um, I had a quick conversation with some people. Excuse me, it was a quick conversation. I had a conversation with some people of, uh, that I know who are um, like a second family to me. Educated folks, both the mother and father are retired uh, CPS teachers, have been in that union, you know, for over 20 years. Um, kids, all advanced degrees, just uh, an intelligent bunch of folks. Um and a lot of the stuff that I've learned just listening to this show, not just about the what, um, but of the how and the why. Um, you know, as India likes to say, the show behind the show. And uh-huh. those details, they weren't up on those details. Um, they, even a couple of them, um, weren't up on how this president even got elected. Um and they were ready to 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 support the numbers you were given tonight in terms of how black folks are total participants in the Democratic Party, and this, that's how we vote. Um, that's how we uh, that's how we vote. Even over uh-huh. the years, it's been increasing um, since Barack Obama came in, onto the scene. But you know, traditionally, since I've been alive, that's how we vote. But um, just how. It took literally hell freezing over, i.e. George Bush, for that to happen, to get him elected, and how we had to have a modern-day depression um, mm-hmm. to help get that into office, um, get, get this administration into office with a black face on it, mm-hmm. and the result of everything that's happened since. Um, so that just goes to the point of you saying how it's going to take a bunch of us to get in front of the White House, and stand out there and demonstrate, well, a lot of us aren't even on the same awareness level of the genesis of it. And if Mm -hmm. we can't come from the same point, how are we going to get to the same destination unless that destination is, you know, a a lot worse than just standing in front of the White House trying to make demands? Yes. Well, the thing is that, it is very clear that this administration, uh, wherever the pressure is coming from, wherever the stress points are being created, they respond. Mm -hmm. They respond. 
And we're not you know, and one of the things that we have to learn is that that we have that 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 we should be aware about, and it is true that our political uh, awareness, our political competence, is at an all-time low as a community, and we need to get over our, as Dr. Johnson would say, our sentimentality about the historical nature of his presidency and get into the quantitative nature of what the Democrats... See, I I don't look at anyone... You cannot make change by making it through any one individual. There has to be institutional and structural reformation reformation in our political system. Right. right. So how's how's the music lover uh what y'all going to do about what's going on in Chicago? Well, which problem? Are we talking about the folks dying in the streets or are we talking Yeah. About the impending You got a real real problem. Well, um you know, there hasn't been a lot of uh different community organizations coming into the fold. Um Reverend uh, Minister Louis Farrakhan has uh, gotten into the act. Um, there have been a, a lot of grassroots organizations that's coming up. And um, I think it's helping a little bit in terms of, um, you know, people willing to put themselves out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, but the problem of just the, the, the influx of the gangs and the drugs and the guns um mm-hmm. And Chicago's had a long history with gangs. Um, you know, it's the same gangs plus a, a few new ones since I was in, even in high school a few years ago, well, a bunch of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just so entrenched in yeah. uh, certain neighborhoods. And once they uh, uh, redid the city and they tore some of the housing projects down, well, they tore, tore most of the, uh, all the towers are gone now, Cabrini Green, Robert Taylor, Henry Horner, um most of those people re- relocated into certain areas in the city, mm-hmm. and those are the spots that are blowing up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and unfortunately, um, said they took the drug or brought the drugs and the guns with them. Um, and the police know where the uh, the people are. They know where the hot spots are. Um, I think there's been a reluctance, um, just on the, the authorities' part, to um, intercede. Um, at the level that needs to be uh, yeah. done for yeah. certain reasons, um, and that's a whole different show. Um, yeah, I don't is. know if we've hit the uh, bottom yet. Before it's gonna, we're gonna come up and get better. But um, at some point, yeah, it's gonna be a tipping point, and something's gonna have to happen because it's. I mean, this is Iraq. Yeah, yeah. This is Afghanistan. I, I I did I did see see where someone had I think it was Margaret uh, Kimberly at the Black Commentator or the Black Agenda Report who um, referred to it as Chirac. Chirac, yeah, you know I saw that. Yeah, that's right. Thank you, House Music Lover, for your call. Always uh, good to have you with us. And uh, let's see if people are talking. In uh, our chat room, we've got uh, 
some conversation going on uh, about poll watching. But before we go to break, one of the things, one of the uh, things that I want to uh, emphasize, uh, and that is to have you really understand that um, compared with the way African Americans vote. 75% and 88% of African Americans have identified themselves uh, in studies uh, between, um, in 1980, as Democratic, as Democrats. Compared with the way that African Americans vote, this figure actually understates black support of the Democratic Party. And what I'm trying to do here is get you to understand tonight that you are major investors in this party. Where's the report? You know, when you send delegates to the convention, they're supposed to come back from reports. When I was a little girl and I was in the AME church and I used to go to all the Sunday school convention and the Missionary Society convention and all those conventions, You had to write a report and get up and give your report when you came back. Uh, As a matter of fact, uh, Representative John Lewis, when I was about 14 years old, I met him at an AME convention in um, St. Louis. I was a delegate from the AME church to a convention, the Quadrennial Convention in uh, St. Louis, and he was going to be a youth speaker, and he and I, most people don't know that John Lewis is a very fine pianist, and he and I were uh, putting together a piece, a piano piece, for the youth talent show at the convention. And uh, I have a autograph book, you know, in those days back there in the, early 60s, girls had a habit of carrying around autograph books so you could write nice little things, messages to them, and sign your name. And It was called an autograph book. Mine was pink plastic with a, with a, a poodle on the front. And I still have it. Um, and when um, John Lewis was elected to Congress, I took the page out and I framed it and I gave it to my father that year as a birthday gift. But let's get back to this, how you are investors. And see, your your political, the black political caucus has a responsibility to assist black supporters of this committee, of this, of this Democratic Party in helping them understand the significance and import of their support. Our number is 347-838-9852. And this high level of black attachment to the to the Democratic Party is now four decades old. So these fools that go around talking about, well, wasn't Martin Luther King a Republican? Wasn't my mother and father a Republican? They blah, blah, blah. That's four decades ago. Prior to um, the New Deal era of Franklin D. Roosevelt, a a majority of blacks were Republicans. 
and their support shifted to the Democratic Party during the New Deal. But black Republican identification still remained, even into the mid-30% range into the post-war era. It was the 1964 presidential election that showed a major increase in black support for the Democratic Party. You're listening to Our Common Ground, and I'm Janice Graham, and at 347-838-9852, I'll be listening for you. Can you say why America is the greatest country in the world? Diversity and opportunity. Lewis? Uh, Freedom and freedom. So let's keep it that way. Well, why is America... Not the greatest country in the world, Professor. That's my answer. You're saying... Yes. Let's talk about... Fine. Sharon, the NEA is a loser. Yeah, it accounts for a penny out of her paycheck, but he gets to hit you with it any time he wants. It doesn't cost money. It costs votes. It costs airtime and column inches. You know why people don't like liberals? Because they lose. If liberals are so fucking smart, how come they lose so goddamn always? Hey. And with a straight face, you're going to tell students that America is so star-spangled awesome that we're the only ones in the world who have freedom? Canada has freedom. Japan has freedom. The U.K., France, Italy, Germany, Spain, Australia, Belgium has freedom. So 207 sovereign states in the world, like 180 of them have freedom. All right. And yeah, you, uh, sorority girl, just in case you accidentally wander into a voting booth one day, there's some things you should know. And one of them is... There is absolutely no evidence to support the statement that we're the greatest country in the world. We're 7th in literacy, 27th in math, 22nd in science, 49th in life expectancy, 178th in infant mortality, 3rd in median household income, number 4 in labor force, and number 4 in exports. We lead the world in only three categories. Number of incarcerated citizens per capita, number of adults who believe angels are real, and defense spending, where we spend more than the next 26 countries combined, 25 of whom are allies. Now, none of this is the fault of a 20-year-old college student, but you nonetheless are, without a doubt, a member of the worst period, generation period ever, period. So when you ask what makes us the greatest country in the world, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yosemite? Sure used to be. We stood up for what was right. We fought for moral reasons. We passed laws, struck down laws for moral reasons. We waged wars on poverty, not poor people. We sacrificed. We cared about our neighbors. We put our money where our mouths were, and we never beat our chest. We built great big things, made ungodly technological advances, explored the universe, cured diseases, and we cultivated the world's greatest artists and the world's greatest economy. We reached for the stars, acted like men. We aspired to intelligence. We didn't belittle it. It didn't make us feel inferior. We didn't identify ourselves by who we voted for in the last election, and we didn't didn't scare so easy. We were able to be all these things and do all these things because we were informed by great men, men who were revered. 
first step in solving any problem is recognizing there is one. America is not the greatest country in the world anymore. Enough? American children don't exercise regularly. The average school-aged child watches four to six hours of TV every day, bombarded by commercials for fast food and junk. How you make these kinds of lifestyle changes in your kids is to make them yourself. Make the effort. Fight childhood obesity. A message from the Government of Canada. And cast her vote. Because after 106 years in America, through the best of times and the darkest of hours, she knows how America can change. Yes, we can. America, we have come so far. We have seen so much, but there's so much more to do. So tonight, let us ask ourselves, if our children should live to see the next century, if my daughters should be so lucky to live as long as Ann Nixon Cooper, what change will they see? What progress will we have made? This is our chance to answer that call. This is our moment. This is our time to put our people back to work and open doors of opportunity for our kids, to restore prosperity and promote the cause of peace, to reclaim the American dream and reaffirm that fundamental truth that out of many we are one, that while we breathe we hope and where we are met with cynicism and doubt and those who tell us that we can't, we will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. Thank you. God bless you. And may God bless the United States of America. Where spirit matters. Across the board, the reality of racism, the part it is playing in frustrating the aspirations of millions of black children all across this country through poverty, through inferior public schooling, through poor health care, etc. And recognize the part that racism plays in that, or, 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 or we aren't. And if we aren't going to recognize it for them, then we're not going to make any excuses about policy failures in the White House either. If it ain't no excuses for them, it ain't no excuses for him. If they can, if they can face the hell that they're catching and still be expected to succeed, then damn it, we expect to get a public option. And we expect to see some social justice. And we expect to be some, see something done about the plight of the poor. Don't give me that the economy is too bad. You know why? Because we got no excuses. Because we just a zero-sum game, we believe. 
where spirit matters. Only on TruthWorks Network. Your Wednesdays just got better. Soul of Fire with Dr. Matthew V. Johnson. Wednesdays, 10 p.m., where spirit matters. Hey, India, it's Janice. Us talk chicks got to stick together. You and your real raw right now, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., Monday through Friday, and me and my brave black and bold, Saturdays, 10 p.m. There's no doubt, us talk chicks, we know where the real talk is, and we know what to do on their radio. You. It's a cold and crazy world that's raging outside, but baby, me and all my girls are bringing on the fire. Show a little leg, gotta send me your chest. Our common ground, speaking truth to power, and ourselves. I'm Janet Grant. If you declare 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Monday through Friday, Blog Talk Radio, I declare to you. Common Ground. TruthWorks Network presents Working While Black, a six week series on employment discrimination and racism in the workplace, how African Americans cope, face, and struggle with employment discrimination. What are the laws that protect us, and what are the agencies that do not? How do you cope employment, racism, and discrimination in the workplace? Join Ricardo Jones, the host of Working While Black, He is a former senior investigator at the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Join Ricardo Jones in Working While Black, only at TruthWorks Network. Working While Black, Tuesdays, 10 p.m. at TruthWorks Network, where the truth must be spoken more than once. TruthWorks Network, the Black Voice Collaborative on Blog Talk Radio.
I'm Janice Grant. for being with us here at Our Common Ground. This is Open Mic Saturday Night, 347-838-9852. You know, I get really, really jealous. I mean, I, 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 um, I, um, listen to talk radio from the time I get up in the morning until the time I go to bed at night. And I get so jealous because I listen to some of these shows and they can't even handle the calls that they get. Just one call back. Because talk radio really is about not what I say, but about what you say. And I want to thank House Music Lover for his call tonight uh, because we are troubled. I don't think there are any... Serious thinking black people in this country who are not troubled by the options that face us. You know, it's um, almost like we are we are very much like thinking and struggling people who, at the end of the day, we have to say, we have to deal, we have to handle, we have to manage, we have to accept the hand that has been dealt us. But once it's dealt, once the dealer uh, places the cards in front of us, it is what we do with those cards. That's how the game is played. And many of us have decided that we've got to get smarter, we've got to get better, we have to become more strategic, and we have to have the courage to be more tactical in how we approach all of this. So tonight at Our Common Ground, we're talking about uh, how we deal with the options. We're going to go to our phones, 281, you're on the air. I respect you. Thank you very much for your call. Um, well, good evening, uh, Ms. Janice Graham. I declare here. Good um, evening, Miss India. I declare for real. Answering your clarion call for more calls. Well, uh, and wanting to ride side saddle with you on your analysis. Uh, we we uh we have got to become much more thirsty for uh knowledge of the issues that are directly impacting our lives and connecting the dots to the boring and the bureaucratic to our gas tank pantry and light switch we've got to connect the dots to how this matters and 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 thank you for Iron sharpening iron. Thank you for 
for bringing up the issue of the Democratic Convention and what was not said, because there was brilliant oration, but there was also omissions of very serious issues that impact our community's uh, life and death issues. And um, um, we must keep the pressure on uh, an iron-sharpening iron uh, to and, keep and, our and, minds and, and, you know, about one, what is not being said and what is not being addressed. One of the things, India, and thank you so very much for joining me tonight. I'm quite honored to have you call in. But, and for those of you who are listening, you can talk with India Declare Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the I Declare Show. But one of the things is, how many of of the people who are listening to our voices tonight, how many of you will Monday morning pick up the phone, call your local or state Democratic National Party and say to them, I want to get involved. I want to make sure that the oars are in the water and we're headed to the right direction. Yes. We have got to stop being, we are almost pathological in our response to our political needs in that we are passive-aggressive. Correct. On one hand, we do nothing. On the other hand, we want to beat up the people. Hmm. You know, wow. it's, 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 like, it's like we want to be animal rights activists, but we still buy tickets to the Bottom and Bailey Circus. Right, and get leather seats, leather seats on your Exactly, exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so deadpan tonight that because, you know, you know I mean, I, I listened to, I was, I was quite, I have known Deval Patrick for a very long time, and I mean known him very well. I worked very hard for his election as governor because I know that he understands the underpinnings of the word, the notion, the concept of justice. He has seen it from the, he has seen injustice from the inside out. Yes. So we have to, we have to hold people I think, India, actually, I think Barack Obama as the president would have behaved differently had we been there. Oh, I we do, were, too. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and I, I there might not have been such a overwhelming sweep in 2010, which the nation has paid a price for that, uh, 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 for that lack of, of political engagement, the nation has been paying a price ever since this midterm, and exactly. I completely agree with you. I think yeah. that, like, this is the anniversary of the jobs bill. Well, if the midterm uh, uh, did not wash in, wash ashore, uh, 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 such a tight, clustered ring of white-winged Tea Partiers, would we now have that jobs bill? You're talking about a, um, a million jobs. Uh, right. uh, uh, that That's would right. greatly impact the uh, unemployment numbers that we just got yesterday. So, I mean, our engagement is directly, it's like it's on your keychain. It's so close to your life. 
um, um, uh, and how to get that across, how to how to galvanize that engagement and connect the puzzle pieces, just so that people they can do the research on their own. But what you're doing works so hard to do. What so many others are working so hard to do is just put the puzzle in front and just say, you all just take a look at it yourself. This crap is directly impacting our lives, and if we don't pull up on some of the music and the entertainment, we will become victims of our lack of information and engagement. It's really just exactly. that simple. Exactly. I, I wish that people who enjoy enjoy the the, uh, the Housewives of Atlanta and 773, your call dropped. I don't know why it wasn't me call back. We only have a few minutes, but I wish people who would who enjoy drama. You want to enjoy some political drama, political animals. New the newsroom on HBO, Boss. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if if you had watched Boss last night, uh, I, I'm a big uh, watch. You know, Boss is about the the political machine of the city of Chicago. And it, it the the the, the storyline last night was really about Cabrini Green and how it was torn down and what happened to all of those poor people and their response to it and the political machine's response to it. It was mm-hmm. wonderful TV and 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 fair game and understanding how everybody thought the the that Scooter Libby that it was about Sharon Plum Plame, but it wasn't. It was about Joe Wilson and his and mm-hmm. his report on Africa. So mm-hmm. you know, even if you only want to begin to understand, not by listening to our common ground and Janice Graham talking about all these statistics and and talking about you know one of the things that uh, I want to get to is this Uncle Tom's in the post racial era and what makes up the people on the terrain of social uh, commentary. Uh, but, you know, we've got to, we've got to find, you got to find your way, India. Yes. And if that means that you talk to, I mean, if that means you listen to the India Declare show and listen to your callers and what their take is, and try to put all these puzzle pieces, as you say, together. That's what it is. Right. Just figure out. I definitely, I, I completely concur. Just figure out, you know, what you groove with to get the, uh, uh, to get exactly. pulled into what is going on. Figure out, you know, what uh, uh, flows with you, and 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 then groove on that. But just get in the game and get in this process because we're paying for the party and we're being victimized via legislation as well as pay for those to victimize us via the legislation that they create. So it's like exactly. a double screw. So, exactly. so 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 I completely concur. I love your work, Janice. You know I do. And and I, and I'm going to continue to listen, but uh, 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 please check out whatever Janice Graham recommends. Check it out. Okay. That's <laughs> well, I recommend the I Declare show Monday through Uh-oh. Friday, 11 to, to 1. India, thank you so <laughs> very so much cute. for your call. Thank you, Janice Graham. Y'all have a great night. Thank you. Bye-bye. 
And all of you out there, thank you for joining us. Uh, We want to remind you that on Tuesday nights, Our Common Ground sponsors a network. It's called Truth Works Network. And there are three wonderful programs going on on TruthWorks Network on Tuesday night, Working While Black with Ricardo Jones, who is a former uh, investigator at EEOC. And he has his own story to tell about race discrimination in the workplace, but he talks about um, issues related to working while black race uh, discrimination against blacks in employment and in the workplace, and uh, we hope that you'll join us for that at TruthWorks Network. And on Wednesday night, Soul of Fire with Dr. Matthew V. Johnson, and he was uh, scheduled to be with us tonight, but he's traveling between Philadelphia and Atlanta, somewhere in between, and he thought that... Um, he was going to be home, but he missed it because of a meeting he had to attend. He missed his uh, his uh, train and had to take a, a, a later a, a later train. And then on Friday night, the granddaddy of all political urban progressive talk, the Alpha Show. You can join us by coming to truthworks.ning.com and find out about our programming. Our Common Ground has a Facebook page. You can Twitter me at at Janice OCG at any time. I check my Twitters. I check Facebook. All of our programming, the Alpha Show, Soul of Fire, Working While Black, it's all on Facebook. And coming up in September, um, The Invisible Women Walking the Crooked Path with Suzanne Brooks, another six-week special series on African American and women of color. I'm Janice Graham and thank you so much for for joining us tonight and we hope that you have a very very good weekend. Rise up, black man. I said, rise up, black man. Rise like the rush of a million men marching up mountains to obtain their mental manumission. Let African pride be your ammunition and let's engage in sedition if we must. Because it's up to us to uplift our nation from the dust of dreadful damnation. Rise up, black man. I said, rise up, black man. Rise up like a million men marching against the tide of societal injustice. Rise like a Nubian phoenix, turning that anger that burns incessantly on your inside into a torch that you take to toss on to the next generation so that they can take that flame and frame a resilient picture of our future. Rise up, black men. Rise to the occasion. Show the world how black men are still in the households and not all in jail. Still pursuing that education and proudly paying tuition, not bail. And you, you bold black men on lockdown must show the world that you got your head up with your eyes on the prize because that prison cell you're in just could be a blessing in the sky. See, even in the prison where we live like slaves, black men, you have the power to break those chains or handcuffs and collectively call everyone's bluff because we got too many fakers out there fronting like they're down with the cars. But behind the scenes, they're pulling you down with those crab cars. Be it through legislation, corrupted investigations, or trials with inadequate legal representation. So I say rise up, black men. Rise up and show the world that we're taking command of our destiny. And bow out loud that I will never let them get the best of me. 
Because God is calling on us to do our best to see a brighter day. So will you rise with me, black man? Will we collectively take a stand until we win what is right for the hours? Because there aren't enough hours in the day for play. To be a real black man, it's that ignorant, afraid of freedom mentality we must play. So take a deep look into your eyes and realize it's time to rise. Just rise up, brother man, and take a stand. Rise up, black man. I said rise up, black man. Rise up. Thank you for joining us here at Our Common Ground. For all of you that have joined us in our chat room, we thank you as well. I'm Janice Grant. Join us each Saturday at Our Common Ground. I'll be listening for you, speaking truth to power and ourselves. We make it out loud.